stopped again. There we go. Okay. So this week's topic is kind of the bridge. Nice to be back. Feels like it's been so long. <laughs> the bridge between... But, well, last time was Lamont Tizkaru Vasisimus Komitsosai. And what's the concept of, you'll remember, and do all the mitzvos. And now it's Vasisimus Komitsosai, you will do all the mitzvos, comma, Viyisem Kedoshim Lelokechem. So what is this, what's the connection here? It's obviously a separate clause within, within the sentence, but nonetheless, it's a continuation. It's in order that you will remember and do all of my mitzvos, and you will be kedoshim lelokechem. Kedoshim, holy or sanctified or dedicated, uh, dedicated as in designated, dedicated, lelokechem <coughs> to your Lord. Um, we're, again, it's one of these things where we're so used to the words, but it's still an interesting question. In what way, okay, I can understand we've talked about in what way remembering would lead to doing all of Hashem's mitzvos. but in what way does doing all of Hashem's mitzvos lead to you will be holy to God? There's still another step here. So that's our topic for today. Um, if we're not in too much of a rush, we might go over time because there's a fairly long piece from Revolvi but I think it's worth seeing inside, even though I excerpted down so that it's less than half of it. I still think it will probably take a bit of time to go through the whole thing. Um, we could do a separate session on it, but I, I think it will, it will flow okay. It just might go a little bit long. Okay, so I want to start with a few, uh, I don't know what, Divrei Torah from the Chavetz Chaim. We've had a lot of the Chavetz Chaim suddenly lately. The topic he holds near and dear, I think. Okay. So, point one on this topic from the Chafetz Chaim. A person could read a sentence like this and find it terribly discouraging. Do all the mitzvos. You know, don't, don't let your heart and your eyes stray. Don't let your thoughts stray. Stay focused on doing all the mitzvos and you'll be holy. But some people find it very difficult to keep their thoughts clean and pure. And they find that their thoughts keep going off into other places where they shouldn't go. And so here they are, struggling along, trying very hard to have their thoughts in the right place. And they start to realize, you know what? I'm never going to be kadosh. I'm never going to be righteous. I'm never going to be a tzaddik. I'm never going to be... I'm just who I am, and there doesn't seem to be much hope. It's very difficult to train your thoughts. So how will I ever get there? But Chazal have learned over here, and it's a Gemara Navodazara, Habola Taher Misayinoso. Now we actually saw this in Parsha's Balak. <laughs> we saw this statement from Chazal in the Parsha Shir. Habola Taher, one who comes to purify himself, Misayinoso, they help him. He's helped. So if a person with all of his heart, if a person desires with all of his heart to remove a bad thought from his heart, then certainly from heaven he will be helped with this. I mean, it's true that he struggles with it and struggles with it and feels more and more helpless. But from that sense of helplessness and frustration, there can either come complete despair and giving up. Or there can come com a sort of a helpless despair that says, Hashem, please help me. This is what I want. So we can hang on to the wanting, the frustration itself, the difficulty and the struggle itself have a value. Because they are the expression of what do we truly want. And if a person comes and really wants to be made pure, then he will be helped. True, maybe you can't do it on your own. But Hashem will help. So he should not give up on doing mitzvos or keeping the Torah because he feels, oh, well, really, if you, if you only could see inside, 
You know, what God could see inside, it's really very low. So it's just being hypocritical. You know, on the outside, I look so holy, but inside, I'm really very low. And the answer is, don't give up on Torah and mitzvos, because if that's what you really, truly want, then yes, you may have a struggle, and yes, you may face some times of despair, but eventually, you will be helped. Hashem doesn't turn away what somebody really wants so badly. And similar to this, Chazal have said, A person should always stay busy with Torah and mitzvot, even if he doesn't have the most idealistic, pure, righteous, non-self-involved thoughts about doing Torah and mitzvot, because through that, that he's doing it not lishma, not for its own sake, but lishma, he'll come to do it for its own sake. So we've we had, Rav Dessler has a very interesting approach to this, which is actually, you, you can see how it corresponds, thank you, sorry, <laughs> also with what the Chavetz Chaim is saying, which is that the desire to have it be lishma means that you should, that there's value to doing all these things, even when they're not lishma. Mm-hmm. Just the desire to have it become lishma is the key ingredient. And the Kedusha of Torah and the Kedusha of the mitzvahs will help him reach the point where it will be within his grasp to do and to learn also Lishma. I think that in the, the more, let's say in the, in the Musar language, we would say that also doing the Torah and mitzvahs, aside from the value that they have on their own, but by sticking with them, that is the tangible proof that that is what he wants. I mean, continuing to do them, even though you can't do them with your heart in the right place, you know that you really have selfish motivations, or you're doing it because what will people think of you? But as long as you're aware of that, and you recognize that that's the case, then doing the Torah and Mitzvahs is also an expression of your desire to get them right. So, okay. This is also hinted to in Kriyashma. Because the beginning, it says, You should remember all the mitzvahs of Hashem and do them. So it says, the mitzvahs of Hashem, meaning the ones you're doing thinking these are God's, it's for Hashem's sake, are tied over here only to the remembering but not to the doing in the first statement. They will beat tzitzis, and you'll see them, and you'll remember all the mitzvahs of Hashem, osam, and you'll do them. So when you're doing them, the doing them is not really only for Hashem, but you got to where you were remembering them only for Hashem. You say, oh, I really want to serve Hashem. I want so badly to serve Hashem, lishma, and not for selfish reasons, and not because of societal reasons. And, but when it comes down to actually doing them, I'm doing it because I felt like doing it. I'm, feeling, I'm doing it because it made me feel righteous. I'm doing it because what will people say if I don't do it? Who knows the reasons that we do things. Not so many of them are so perfectly lishma, maybe. So that's where the starting point is. But even though a person has not gotten yet to the level of such purity of thought when he is doing the mitzvahs, nonetheless the actions themselves will help to clear his mind of the thoughts that they shouldn't have and they will help clear and strengthen him against his taivas and then he will be able to reach the level of you will do all of my mitzvos meaning God's mitzvos which is like a very nice insight it starts with you will have these tzitzis and you'll see them and you'll remember all of Hashem's mitzvos. You'll remember the mitzvos are for lishma, v'asisimosam, and you'll do them, however you are doing them. And in the doing, that will help prevent that your heart will not start, will not stray, and your eyes will not stray. Lema'an, in order that, like that will bring you to Tizkaru, remembering va'asisem and doing eskol mitzvosai, all of Hashem's mitzvos for the sake of God. It's like a very nice reading into the order of the words. Okay. Another little passage from the Chavetz Chaim. It seems like when we reach this 
the Shema in general, we're talking about such a lofty level. You will be holy. And even if while we're learning about it, we seem like that's something we can begin to aspire to maybe, but then we look around and we say, what's the reality of ourselves and the people around us? The reality of ourselves and the people around us seems to be at least at some level, because even at some level, some kind of, it seems awfully easy to drop into the category of either heresy or avodazara, if we, you know, based on the things that we've learned, how, how quick it is, even when we're successful in Torah and mitzvahs, for that to turn into taking credit for it out of our own power. I mean, it just, it seems hopeless. So a person can either feel hopeless, or we can look around us and say it's hopeless, or say, what am I, deluding myself? Like, what, what shaykhahs do I have to a statement like, you will be kadosh to Hashem? That doesn't, it just seems like it's so outside of anywhere I'm ever going to approach. Where, where do we go that? Where, where do we go to deal with that? He says, the Torah is teaching us here that the Torah, Hashem in the Torah does in fact demand of us to make ourselves holy with all of our abilities. And yes, it is talking to every single one of us. It is even talking to the person, to the same person who needs to be warned about heresy or about apicorsus or about avodazara and saying, no, no, you have the ability to become kadosh and therefore you are not absolved. And so as much as we feel that it's despair, that there's such a huge gap between what the Torah describing is our aspiration here and where we think we are sometimes, the Torah is saying, no, I actually do expect this of you, which means, yeah, you can do that. So you're, when we start to feel like, oh, there's no way we could do it, the Torah itself is saying, yes, you can. And that is actually encouraging. Another piece from the Chabot Chaim. There's another verse I looked up somewhere here. I have a list of, I don't know, five or six verses that have similar phrasing. But there's a pasuk in Vayikra, You shall make yourself holy and you will be holy because I am Hashem your Lord. And you can hear the similarity to what we have over here. You shall be holy to Hashem your Lord. I am Hashem your God who took you out of Mitzrayim. It's not identical, but it's very similar. You shall make yourselves holy and you will be holy because I am Hashem your God. So Chazal teach over there, Gemara and Yuma, you can hear how it's similar to the previous Chazal, but it's not the same. A person sanctifies himself a little bit. That gets amplified. They, the heavenly forces, make him a lot sanctified. Milamata, a person is Mekadesh himself from below. He is given holiness from above. Meaning, a person sanctifies himself in this world. He is made holy for the next world as well. In other words, we put in an effort down here, and it's true. This is just summarizing the Chazal. We put in an effort down here in the sphere where we are able, and it is very small, and it is very finite, and it is perhaps at a rather low level because that's where we happen to be. But the reaction to that that is generated is far greater. So we do our work down here, and we, Chazal want us to know that we are the small end of a very long lever. And our actions may look like, well, I just moved this a little bit. I only improved a little bit. I was mekadesh myself a little bit. But we need to realize that the reflective response is not just a reflection, it's an amplification. And so what will happen from heaven in this world and in the next world is a far greater degree of kedusha than what we thought we were able to achieve. This mimer should be understood exactly as it's written. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who is the source of all good and all chesed, when a person pushes his Yetzir Hara a little bit, 
conquers his Yetzirah a little bit, pulls himself over to the side of Kedusha a little bit, right? Says, in this situation, I don't see what I possibly could do, but it must be I can choose something good. And it's maybe not even much more than that, that they, as far as we can get. HaKadosh Baruch Hu mashpia alav. Hashem pours an influence onto him of Kedusha Harbe Mimelo Chof of um, a lot of Kedusha. Mimelo Chof means handfuls, but it means like overflowing handfuls. In other words, a very generous pouring of influence of Kedusha will be given to him. As Chazal have said, Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem says to the Jewish people, Pischuli Pesach Kamachat Shel Sidkis, it's the exact same language I learned it with. Open for me an opening the size of the eye of a needle, and I will open it. I will. I will get the leverage into there to open it into the size of a banquet hall. That that's a very extreme change in size. But if we and that's the hard work, you know, the leverage, leveraging an existing hole, is easier than drilling the original hole. So. It is hard to make that first opening. But when we make an opening the size of the eye of a needle, Hashem comes in and leverages it and pushes it all the way open into the size of a hall, a wedding hall. That's, that is the scale of amplification that will come to us when we try to be Makadesh ourselves. And then there's a note here that somebody said about the Chafetz Chaim that whenever he would talk about the idea of Kedusha, like Kedoshim to you ki Kadoshani, be holy for I am holy, is a pasuk. Hayamamish mematek bisvasav. He would like go like smack his lips a little bit as if he were tasting something tremendously sweet, sweeter than honey. That when he thought about Kedusha, when he spoke about Kedusha, the Chafetz Chaim himself would, would look like he was tasting something incredibly sweet. Which also is an image for us, you know, not, not knowing exactly. I mean, there was recently this uh, very brief video, uh, film footage of the Chafetz Chaim. I don't know if you saw this. You know, there's a few very famous pictures of the Chafetz Chaim, which are also mostly copies of copies of copies. And little, you know, from two photographs and one of them, his coat is mostly covering his face. So it's, you know, <laughs> difficult to say, like, to what extent they really look like him. Not to mention, you know. But they just turned up a little piece of film footage from the Aguda Convention, the, <laughs> the original Aguda Convention. Mm -hmm. And the Chafetz Chaim was coming, and somebody captured it, and they just discovered this within the last few months. Yeah, so you get this sudden image of just a couple of minutes, a couple of moments, you know, a few seconds but you can see the Chafetz Chaim moving. I have a friend who once sent me um, a very small piece of, also of old film that shows Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, which is just like, I, I must have watched this a hundred times <laughs> mm -hmm. because it was seeing somebody step out of history and become a living being. Mm -hmm. And you see him and Rav Cook both leaving the home of the British... What's it, what was it called? I forget now the title. Sorry. You know, when the, when the British controlled, they had the mandate over Palestine. So they had a, a commissioner, the high commissioner. And you can see them, you know, kind of nod, say goodbye, and leave. You can't hear anything. It's just, you know, visual. But it's astonishing. It's astonishing. I mean, we've read books about them, read about them, talked about them, and there they are. <laughs> Actual people. It's really very worth finding. I'm sure that's also on YouTube. The, uh, is this on YouTube? Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld. It must be. I'm sure I have a copy of it, but I'm sure it's... Uh -huh. and, and the Chafetz Chaim one? The Chafetz Chaim one is definitely on YouTube. Or Google it. I would Google it. I wouldn't start with YouTube. I would just say... I would just write Chafetz Chaim film or video, and it will pop right up, because this was in the news quite a lot, because it was a very big deal, and it was recent. Yeah. Sorry? You should put a link on Facebook. Oh, if I remember, I'm happy to. Yeah, if I mean, if I'm thinking of it later. Okay, so I think I just want to sum up these notes from the Chafetz Chaim 
like this. A little bit of Kedusha goes a very long way. I think that is a way to hang on to these ideas, which are beautiful ideas, but, but in a way that it actually touches us going forward. And I would suggest as, if, as an exercise, I mean, this is something that you don't have to plan for. It will come up. You know, it just hopefully doesn't come up terribly often, but it definitely happens where you feel stuck or you feel that circumstances are pushing you somewhere and you didn't want to be there. <clears throat> That's when you say, well, there's something I can choose. I don't know what it is, but I'm a human being, therefore there is something, some element of Bechira over here. Mm -hmm. So I don't know exactly what my choices are, but I will choose what's right. I'll choose what's good. That opening of Kedusha goes a very long way. As an exercise, this is an exercise Rabbi Goldberg gave in his shir. Um, do or say something, you know, every day for a week. I, f I found it very helpful. Do or say something knowing that it's forever. Right? That's essentially putting into practice that chazal. A person sanctifies himself a little. He is made... The, Holiness is given to him in, in plenty. Milamata, a person is mekadesh himself below. Mekadshem also milamala. He will be given kedusha from above. But olam haza, a person is mekadesh himself in this world. Mekadshem also olam haba. He will be also get kedusha in olam haba. And sometimes it feels like the things that we say or the things that we do disappear. We don't even remember them an hour later, let alone a decade later. Mm -hmm. But to stop for a moment, I found it helpful to put it right into my sitter. I think the exercise given that year was probably meant to be a little bit more right? that, you know, try and find a moment in, in the day, in each day, to say something or do something for someone else, knowing that that will be forever, whether, whether they know it or not, right? When you do something for someone else that... It's a very powerful thing, very powerful. Okay, so now I want to, I want to work on this, um, this essay from Revolvi. It's from Bain Sheshes La'asor. Like I said, I'm going to skip around because it's a very long essay. But I think the points are incredibly important. So the, the, the title is Asher Kedushanu B'mitzvosav. <laughs> so you can see how this is in fact relevant. And it's also exciting because when I saw that title, I, I realized something that I should have realized and hadn't, which is that when our Pasuk in Shema says, Lema'an Tizkiru, you'll remember, Va'asisem es kol mitzvosai v'yisem kedoshim lelokechem, that is the concept of Asher Kedushanu B'mitzvosav. So if I could understand one of them better, I could understand the other one better. And I say Shema really often, mm -hmm. but I don't know how often I manage to do all the mitzvahs and make myself holy to Hashem. I try, you know, but, but every time I say Asher Kiddushanu B'mitzvosav, then I have a moment where, my, where the words are telling me to remember this concept and that the action I'm about to take is in fact... An expression of asisim is kol mitzvosa, So whereas maybe we said a few minutes ago, gee, it seems like how could I aspire to kedusha, to be a kadosh? That's like way up there. Well, Chazal have told us in the structure of our brachos that when we do a mitzvah and say asher kedushanu v'tzivanu, we're actually implementing this idea so if we had any doubts that it's possible for us to even think about working on being kadosh to Hashem, the answer is absolutely. Every time you light candles. Every time you go to a mikvah. Every time you light Hanukkah candles. Every, every kiddush. Every, it's asher kiddush shanu b'mitzvah Okay, that's my introduction. I mean, that's what I got just out of seeing the title of this essay. It suddenly kind of burst upon me that this idea, which when read in Shema seems so almost 
well, it shouldn't be unattainable by now because we spent so much time on it. I hope bringing it into the world that we really live in so that we can connect ourselves to these ideas which really are very lofty and yet we want to be attached to them. But this takes it to a whole new level. As soon as it's a sheket of a mitzvah well, that's part of my daily life, more or less. You know, I wash my hands in the morning. So that's off to a really good start. So that means it is part of my life. It's part of my daily life. And now I want to try and understand how that is. Maybe I didn't spend enough time thinking about a Shekhar before. Okay. That's fine, too. And then you eat some bread. Say it then. Right? But it goes to the mitzvah of the washing. Okay. He says there's something... We have a, a special, a unique concept of the idea of a mitzvah. Something which has been commanded to us to do. And Hashem Yisbarach is living. He's described as living. Baruch Chei HaOlamim. We talked about that when we were in Baruch Sha'amar. Hashem is the one who provides life to all the world. One way of thinking about provides life to all the world, life is change, a constant state of change. When things are static and the same, they are not alive anymore. That's pretty much the same idea as when we say a human being is called a holich and a malach is called an omid. A person is a goer, a walker, a malach is a stander, standing still, because the constant going, moving, changing is a fundamental quality of living. And that which stays the same and is static is not alive. It might be very holy, it's just not alive. So Hashem is the provider of life to the world, as if he touches it with a magic wand. And when he... It's an interesting comparison, right? Wait, what? How did we get there? Okay. And in some way, Hashem touches all of creation. And in this touch, life flows into all of creation. Hashem is the source of life. And this is, you know, magic wand is a much more modern day engaging way of saying, I mean, it's not really a modern idea, but a modern, engaging to the modern ear rather than channel, pipeline, okay, which we tend to think of as maybe an old-fashioned sort of mechanical engineering. The magic wand. And this is true for everything that is alive and living in the world and has the breath of life in it. So, so what is the magic wand? And if we want to understand what is this that, what is it that when Hashem touches it to something in the world, life, Chaim, flows to it from Hashem who is the source of life. That's called a mitzvah. I hope I'll do okay with my excerpting that we don't jump too many uh, too many ideas at once. It says we have to understand when we talk about a mitzvah, there's a little introductory paragraph, when we talk about a mitzvah, we have to take ourselves away from the ideas of the world we've grown up in, which is not really a world of Torah necessarily. Because there we get ideas that have to do with ceremonies and... You know, these, this has nothing to do really with mitzvahs. The concept of a mitzvah is something different. So we have to move away a bit from that. Hashem revealed himself to our forefathers at Har Sinai. And before we even talk about what he said to us at Har Sinai, we need to realize the profundity of the concept that in fact Hashem does reveal himself to people. Hashem communicates with people. And that is piece number one. Before we even get to the content of what Hashem said, is the power of the realization that there is a God and he is a creator of the world and he is involved with us. He occasionally reveals his presence to us and he communicates with us. And since the day that Hashem revealed himself to the entire Jewish people, 
we have never let falter in the Jewish people. There, here and there, people have faltered, but there has never been a day that has gone by where the memory of Hashem Echad, Hashem is one, Hashem is the living God and the king of the universe, that has never ceased. From the moment of God's first revelation, that has been daily, right? And we say that, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. And so we say this every day. And how then can we relate to Hashem? We just learn something. We might think that we need to run away from the life of the body, that we need to try and separate ourselves from the physical world in order to communicate with God. No, that's not so. Because God revealed himself to us in this world. That... <laughs> The message is, is really, it's almost like somebody dropping multiple bombs, one after the other, thought bombs, you know, because you don't even get to, like, what, what Hashem said yet. There's a God, and he's a creator, and he reveals himself to man, and he communicates with man. The next one is, he communicates with us and connects to us in this world. In other words, we live before him, within our body and within the world. We sanctify the body. We sanctify our lives in this world. We elevate all the objects and items that we come into contact with in this world. And in this way, there is no contradiction between this world and in standing in the presence of God. So there's work to be done because at first glance, it, you can't, how do you reconcile standing before God with, um, with being in this world and the physicality of the world? And the answer is by elevating the world. Rather than drawing God down in some way, God forbid, or escaping the world, what we need to do is elevate the world. So how do we elevate the world? If we, we, wanna, we wanna create a space, we, God has put us into the world and he seeks to communicate with us and attach to us in this world and for us to draw near to him in this world. How do we do it? We have to elevate the world. How do we do that? How do we sanctify the world? With his mitzvos. He has made us holy with his mitzvos. I think this is literally the meaning of a bracha. Hashem has made us holy with his mitzvos. So what's a mitzvah? What's kedusha? When we make a bracha, we say, Baruch to Hashem, we start off with the idea of talking second person, face to face with God. You are, you are the source of all blessing, Hashem. You are right here imminently before me. And then we switch into third gear, into third person. And we're saying, Asher kedushanu b'mitzvosav, who has sanctified us with his mitzvos. Which means that part of the bracha is written in the, I don't know, I, the only thing I know is, is second person and third person. But in Hebrew, they're called nochach, directly facing, and nistar, hidden, which is a more expressive way of describing second and third person. I don't know if there are words for that in the words relating to English grammar, other than second person and third person, which don't tell you they don't remind you of the fact that second person means you're face to face. Third person means the person is not directly in your line of sight. And he quotes the Ramban, who says, why are brachos partly nochach, partly nistar, partly directly facing and partly hidden? Because ha-mitzvos nitnu lanu min ha-olam ve'ad ha-olam. It's a slightly cryptic statement. Because mitzvos were given to us from the world and until the world. The usual translation of min ha'olam ve'ad ha'olam would be forever and ever. In the same way that le'olam va'ed means forever. This would be like forever and ever. Okay. So there's a, but, but the choice of terminology is important and so he analyzes it a little deeper. So in trying to go through some of the layers of the deep ideas that the Ramban has brought, the, the basic principle is this. Mitzvos are given from a world 
and to a world. Min ha'olam, from the world. Ve'ad ha'olam, and until the world. In other words, mitzvos tie together the spiritual world and the physical world. So the bracha does that as well. The bracha speaks in the nistar, in the hidden, the third person, which doesn't mean hidden nistar like mistorim, like uh, it's hidden, it's mysterious. It means that which is not openly revealed to our minds. Meaning there's a spiritual world which is not perfectly visible to us. It's there, but it's hidden. But there is a reality of the, of the spiritual world that is equal or even greater to the reality of the material world. And in fact, people themselves are half hidden and half revealed. Because we have, now I thought he was going to say, we have a physical body and we have a spiritual soul. That isn't what Revolvi said. <laughs> he said, a person has revealed strengths and qualities that he uses in his everyday life. We all have abilities and talents and strengths and capacities and knowledge that we use daily. But there are also hidden strengths that are locked within us and that are sleeping, like extremely deep sensitivity or emotion, tremendous elevation of spirit, a love of kindness. There are many other qualities in a person that may rarely, if ever, be seen or revealed. And they require, in order to bring these out and awaken these capacities in us, we need mitzvos. Mitzvos actually reveal that which is hidden. They provide opportunities to take our hidden personal qualities and express them out into where they can be seen. So how is it, what is the influence of mitzvos that they tie together the worlds? So let's give an, a mashal. Let's, let's paint a picture for ourselves. Astronauts are journeying to the moon. This book was written in the 60s. Astronauts are traveling on a rocket ship to the moon. And after 10 minutes... They're already at an almost inconceivable distance from the home planet. And soon they will be drawing near to landing on the moon. They're receiving constant guidance, updates, and instructions from mission control on the ground. And it sounds, you know, you hear, you can hear the static, you know, beep, you know. Uh, correct your course to two, four, six, one, or fire your left rocket booster for one and a half seconds. Now let's imagine to ourselves that suddenly something goes wrong with the radio and the connection is cut off between the controllers down below and the rocket ship in which the, the, the astronauts are. Yeah, he didn't say that. <laughs> but yeah, you go around the backside of the moon and suddenly there is no communication. In that moment, the astronauts suddenly feel how alone, how terrifyingly alone they truly are. And the impossibility of being saved from such a dangerous situation. If they can't get the radio up, if they can reestablish communication, it'll be okay. But without communication back down to mission control, they are unlikely. All of a sudden, their situation, which seemed under control, is suddenly not under control, even if they're on track. And with their hearts in their throats and fear for their life, they are struggling to repair the radio, knowing that their fate depends upon it. And then suddenly they hear a burst of static, and they realize they were able to fix the antenna, and again they hear... This is mission control, do you read? This is mission control, do you read? And they hear the sound of the controller on the ground. And they take a very deep breath. They've been saved from certain death. And once again they know, they will know how they need to guide their rocket. 
A person in their journey in life is in the exact same situation as those astronauts. He's just going the opposite direction. Because the root and the source of his soul is really up in the heavens. And so long as he is on the planet, he is unthinkably distant from his home base. And at every moment in the world, he's at some sort of a, a crossroads. Which way do I tweak? Do I keep going straight? Do I make a tiny little correction over here? What do I need to do in order to navigate this, this spaceship through my life? And if I don't have any guidance from my mission control, my creator, then I'm going to be in despair of how I'm going to make it through this. And it won't be only once. It is, it's, it's not unusual for a person to feel how terrifyingly alone he is when he is cut off from his source. And then suddenly he hears the sound of the voice of his creator guiding him and giving him instructions how to live. This is the mitzvos, which direct us in all the pathways of our lives and connect us to our creator. They are the, the radio waves connecting us. And um, abandoned indeed is he whose antenna is damaged to the extent that he can no longer hear the voice of his creator in his life. Because how will he ever direct his spaceship in his life so that he won't crash when he lands? This is the true meaning of mitzvos. It is an awesome implication. The creator of the world has, makes his voice heard through the mitzvos. It is through the mitzvos that he commands and sends instructions to us about how to live. And therefore, every mitzvah is an absolute commandment. We cannot add to the mitzvos. We cannot subtract from the mitzvos. We cannot change the mitzvos, even by a fraction of an inch. We all know what happens if you change by a fraction the, the number of degrees that mission control sent you to make an adjustment, and you change that a fraction. You end up very, very far away from where you were meant to be. No matter what place we're in, no matter what time we're in, and no matter what our understanding is. Right? There's no, nothing where we say, well, that was in those days, and the mitzvah is different now. Or that was in that place, and the mitzvah is different now. Or that's what they understood, but since I understand differently, right? We learn that even from Shlomo HaMelech. I understand differently, therefore the mitzvah can be changed. Because mitzvahs do not depend at all on how much we understand them any more than, than coordinates given to an astronaut depend upon how well he understands them. Astronauts are trained to understand the coordinates. They, you know, they are supposed to understand them. But if they don't, it doesn't really matter. They don't, the coordinates are not a function of the astronaut's understanding. It's only nicer for the astronaut if he understands what's going on. And in the same way, we have mitzvos who, where some portion of their reasoning has been revealed to us. And there are other mitzvos where that isn't so, where we don't have any idea what the purpose of the mitzvah is. But an astronaut doesn't ask mission control why they are commanding him to change a little bit here and a little bit there. He relies on their calculations on the ground. We don't ask about, oh, the, the reason of this mitzvah. And even if it's permitted for us to delve into it, we have to realize that's for our satisfaction to learn about the reasoning of mitzvahs. But it has no it should not affect the practical application of them. And further, all of this he's learning out from the Ramban. Mitzvos are given to us min ha'olam ve'ad ha'olam, from the world and into the world. Furthermore, and now he's going to quote from the Rambam, 
It is a, an explicit and clear thing in the Torah that mitzvos last forever and ever and ever. Mitzvos are eternal. Le'olam u'la'olme olam. Forever and eternal. Ein la lo shinui velo giraon velo tosefes. For any, for the Torah and for the mitzvos, there is never a change, there is never a subtraction, there is never an addition. As the verse says, as kol hadavar sharnochi mitzaveschem oso tishmeru laasos. That which I have commanded you to do, it is that which you should guard and do. Do not add to it, lo sosif alavilo sigramimenu. Do not add, do not subtract. As the verse says, that which is revealed is for us and our children forever to do all the words of the Torah. That's what the Rambam says. Now, Revolvi doesn't say this. I'm interjecting. The Rambam is not always quoted that way. I'm not, I don't think this is the place to express the heresy that people say in the name of the Rambam. But you can, it is possible, I wouldn't recommend it, <laughs> but it is certainly possible to find people who somehow try and find in various statements of the Rambam justification to say that mitzvos are not treated as being eternal and absolute. But this was a direct quote from the Rambam. Mitzvos are eternal and unchangeable. Okay, I'm going to jump ahead a bit. Okay, so up until now, we've been talking about the concept of the mitzvos in general and that the mitzvos connect us directly with God. They are the voice of God commanding us what to do. There is no area in the physical life where there isn't the possibility for there to be a mitzvah that will add a little droplet of spirituality to it. I mean, there's nothing that doesn't have the ability to enhance it with a mitzvah and to give it spirituality. And he brings a, a really astonishing and beautiful, it's not identical to other definitions I've seen, but really very, very incredible definition of kedusha from the Rikanati. Rikanati is very ancient, uh, not very ancient, but quite an old uh, commentary. He was a Talmud of the Rashaba, who writes, Kedusha hi hashmira al-achtus ha'olamos. Kedusha is the defense or the protection of the unity of the worlds. Tuma and tuma or impurity is he Neragain Mafrid Alof, a powerful one second separator. Shehi Mafrida Olamos. It is a dissatisfaction of unity that causes a distance or a separation between the worlds. Now, the fact that he brought this after all the other statements gives us a completely different look. If someone had taught us, mentioned this Rikanati earlier. It, we would have said, okay, whatever, Kabbalistic, I don't know, this is out of my league, right? There's nothing I could possibly take from that. Kedusha connects the worlds, Tuma separate the worlds, okay, <laughs> I'll accept it. But he's saying there's practical, there's practical education we get from this Rikanadi. There's a physical world and there's a spiritual world. There's a body, there's a soul, and they need to be in perfect alignment they need to be unified. How does that happen? Through physical activity that gives room for the soul. Or let me put that differently. Within every physical action, there is also room for the neshama. There's nothing that we do that can't be also unified with the goals of our neshama. And vice versa. If I'm thinking about something and there's elevated, because that's the closest I could get to activating my neshama consciously, okay? If I'm thinking, if I'm inspired, I'm feeling uplifted or just yearning to reach out to God, maybe not through uplifting, but through discouragement I'm reaching out for God, then I need to also take a tangible action. 
these ideas are not new to us. But putting them together in this sense is the idea that our physical lives and our spiritual lives need to be unified. And therefore, because they are meant to be perfectly working together, we're meant to stand before God in this world, that means that when I'm doing something that's purely a physical action, I can stop and think, wait, in what way is this elevatable? In what way is there a spiritual side to this? And if I'm engaged in a thought process or feelings that seem to be more spiritual and intangible, then I think, oh, and how can I attach to this a, an actual, an action, something physical? And in this, I am literally tying together the two sides of myself, the two parts of the world. Tuma erects a barrier between the spiritual world, which we find expressed mostly in our thoughts and, and elevated feelings, and between the physical world of our daily lives. Be Tuma says that our behavior in the physical world contradicts elevation, thought, and holiness. That's what Tuma says. Kedusha says, no, we can unify it. So Kedusha is what guards on the, this is the Rikanadi, Kedusha hi hashmira al-achtos ha'olamos, Kedusha guards unification of the worlds, and Tuma separates them. And this is the meaning, asher kedushanu b'mitzvosah, who has made us kadosh with his mitzvos. Because Kedusha keeps the world, the spiritual and physical in alignment. The mitzvos keep our physical and our spiritual in alignment. Asher Kedeshanu B'mitzvosav is what we say before what? Before we do a mitzvah. We take the word of God and turn it into an action. That's Asher Kedeshanu B'mitzvosav. There is no running from the world here. There is no religious service here. There's no religious um, ceremony. There is mitzvos which accompany us into our life. We don't have religion on the side of our life. You know, the two parallel lives, he says elsewhere, like this is a Christian idea, the idea that you have six days a week and then the seventh day is you go to the, to the church. And the rest of the week, you have your secular life. And there's a secular life and a spiritual life. He says there is no such concept. We don't have a spiritual life that runs in parallel to our physical life. Mm -hmm. they're, they're together. The mitzvahs go, come into our lives. They come into our social life. They come into our economic life. They're all one. We don't divide our lives into different sectors of holiness versus secular that is a Christian concept, not a Jewish concept. This is the reality of a mitzvah, that a mitzvah ties a person together. It ties the aspect of the person which is standing on the earth with the aspect of the person that is rooted in the spiritual heavens. And life, by definition, is constantly changing. This situation changes to that situation. This relative relationship changes to that relative relationship. That's not bad. That's the definition of life. When a person can feel that in every situation and in every relative relationship, he is firmly anchored and tied to his eternal and unchanging roots, that elevates him. Just as the mitzvahs can elevate the physical world that is involved in the mitzvah, when we ourselves feel it and are involved in the mitzvah, then we become elevated. Because within the action of the mitzvah, we face the reality of the mitzvah, the commander, the one who commanded the mitzvah. In the moment of doing a commandment, we are facing a commander. We're hearing his voice. And that creator who created the world, he is the commander. There is no separation or distinction between the creation and the mitzvahs. They complete one another. 
and creation is all tied to its creator in all of its situations through the fulfillment of the mitzvahs. We have time for another section. Okay, I just skipped a few sections. The mitzvahs do demand a duty of us through which we know that we are only human and therefore we are submitting ourselves to God's instructions. We're saying, you're the one who knows, I don't know, you know. But at the same time, the very same action of doing a mitzvah, and I'm doing this mitzvah because Hashem said to do a mitzvah. So that's not my judgment so much as his judgment. God said, correct your course, you know, put the, put, turn on a rocket booster on the right side for three seconds. So I did it. So that's me, in a sense, lowering myself, I suppose. He doesn't use the word lower because it's not lowering, but certainly subjecting myself, subjugating myself to God's judgment. But in that same moment, it is also elevating me. How is that? Now, not just, you know, it's very nice to try and encourage people and say, no, really, that's elevating you. He's saying in our, in our emotional space, there's two things that happen when we do a mitzvah because Hashem said to do the mitzvah. One is we're subjecting, I feel that I'm subjecting myself to Hashem. Maybe I wasn't paying attention to that, but if I would stop and think, I'd realize I am. And at the same time, I will feel elevation. How's that? The Gemara teaches us a principle. Eved melech melech. The servant of a king is a king. What does that mean? If I am the servant of somebody, then he gets to decide what my job is, what I'm going to be busy with, <laughs> how I'm going to feel about things, you know, I'm going to I'm going to want what he wants, not what when he doesn't want. I'm tied to him. I I think I hate to say it, but in our days that's probably more to do with sports teams and sometimes with nationality, right? If my team is up, so I'm flying. I'm on the top of the world. If we're losing, I'm, I can't really relate to this myself, but I know people do, okay? The idea that, or, and, and I think sometimes people can feel that with their company, right? You're working hard. You're trying to think not what will be comfortable or convenient for me. I want to make the company successful because when the company's successful, I am successful, not only financially. I'm part of this. And therefore, if it's successful, I'm successful. If it's being dragged through some sort of scandal in the news... I, need, I feel like I need to crawl into a hole in the ground even if I had nothing to do with whatever the accounting shenanigans were. Okay? If I am the Eved Lamelech, if I am the servant of the king, then the feelings that I have, I may be subjugating myself and subsuming myself to the identity of the king, saying it's not about me, it's about him. But then what I have is a feeling of being regal. And even if I myself am not royal, nonetheless, I'm elevated by the fact that now my identity is attached to the king. So at the same, it's the same moment, the subsuming of myself and being able to say, it's not only about what I want or what I think or what my judgment is right now, it's about his, is simultaneously a a subjecting of myself and an elevating of myself in one. The, the servant of a king is in a whole different space from the servant of somebody low. You know, if you, if you get the job as the personal assistant to somebody who's a sleazebag, you're not in the same state as the person who got the job as, you know, the, the personal assistant to the king. The personal assistant to somebody very low, now his own standing is very low, and he's living a life of lowness. But we, the Jewish people, live through the mitzvahs of God. And with every mitzvah that we keep, we know that this is the idea and the mitzvah and the command of the highest of the high. Hashem who created everything, who commands us to keep this mitzvah. And therefore, given that mitzvahs actually are integrated into every single area of our life, there is no 
step that we take that cannot be associated with a mitzvah. So this feeling of elevation can accompany us into every area of our lives. And therefore, even the poorest and most destitute person can be elevated and royal within. If we want to define more clearly the nature of this elevation, we might say it has Kedusha in it. What is the elevation? What is this? That's Kedusha. Because what, what was it that we say when we make a bracha on a mitzvah? Baruch atoa Hashem, Elokeinu melech ha'olam, Asher kedishanu b'mitzvosav v'tzivanu, Harei ha'mitzvos mekachos osanu. The mitzvos make us holy. And we have to be careful not to get stuck on the word holy. We should stick maybe with kedusha, because the word holiness, at least in English, tends to suggest being separate from the world making ourselves, you know, sort of a monastic kind of experience, separate from um, family life, separate from not from friends or from doing business. But the Kedusha, Kedusha is founded, is, an, is a function of Torah and mitzvos. So I just want to skip some of the contrasting bits. And because of that, mitzvos bring Kedusha into the field. Mitzvahs bring Kedusha into the marketplace. Mitzvahs bring Kedusha into the office and into the dining room and into the bedroom and into the army camp and into the factory. In every place and in every situation, a mitzvah is integrated there. Here it guides us. Here it prevents us. Here it tells us go. Here it tells us stop. Here it tells us uh, how to behave pleasantly. Here it tells us how to behave with justice. However you see it, and he says as a perfect example of this, all the halachos of shuls, how to behave in a shul, we learn from the halachos of kiseitze lamochama aloivecha, when you go out to war. There's, there's no difference. We don't say that inside the temple there's some kind of different life than when you're outside in the field. The farmer who plants and who is careful when he's planting seeds about not mixing seeds for kilayim. The reaper, the harvester, who is careful to fulfill leket shechecha and peya, leaving over for the poor, and who gathers his harvest home and is careful to take off the trumas and the maestras. He is living in, in closeness, in proximity to God, no less than the person who is standing in Davening Shmona Esrei in Shul. The storekeeper who is careful to only sell perfect, uh, not perfect, but good quality merchandise, not to try and trick people into buying substandard merchandise at full price. The merchant who is careful to use fair weights and measures and not pressure people. This person is living kedusha in his store a house in which people are careful with what they eat and are careful with taras hamishpacha. It is filled with kedusha. So what is the kedusha? The kedusha is the bond between, the bond created by living with God. That's kedusha. And the way that happens is through the mitzvos. And what, what it achieves is not only that we are drawn close to God, but that Hashem is drawn close to us. And this is vihi noam Hashem elokeinu aleinu. The pleasantness of God is then upon us through the work of our hands. God's pleasantness is established upon us and rests upon us. It has been achieved through the work of our hands. We do not, we are not following two different commands. There isn't a, a, a holiness way of living and a secular way of living. Everything, our physical bodies, our social lives, our economic lives, everything is joined together with the will of God, and through all this we feel noam hasharm elokeinu aleinu. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here. I think, like, <laughs> this was a necessary essay to understanding the Pasuk. Leman tizkiru 
ועשיסם אז כל מצוסי, וייסם קדושים לאלוקיכם. And it, <laughs> he manages through discussing the mitzvahs to unify both the very highest of worlds and the very lowest of worlds, which is apparently what a mitzvah allows us to do. And I, I, don't, I was just so, uh, so blown away by this essay. It's such a, so different and yet so the same as everything we've ever learned, and yet so different, such a different way of putting it together where the mitzvahs themselves are the bond that connects one world to the other, the voice of God, the will of God, to our ears so that they become an action. They become something fulfilled into the world. That's the magic wand. And, um, and that is what brings us kedusha. That, it, that makes us holy. Why? Asisem es kol mitzvosai. You do the mitzvos. They're not just the mitzvos, they're Hashem's mitzvos, my mitzvos. Then that, that is, in fact, what you achieve with it. We'll continue next week, I hope. I like, I like your exercise, the do or say something, knowing that it's forever. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. There's, there's another one that uh, I've been, been working on. It's like it's to stop before a mitzvah and recognize that you're doing this, you know, we, we say you know, I'm doing this for Hashem, but to add the one word is I'm doing this as a gift for Hashem. That's you know, a nice is, idea. It's, you know, that, that like, like makes it a little more strong in, in my yeah. mind. It's a, it's a nice way I'm to think about it. It's a gift for Hashem because I want to do yeah. something for you. This is not yeah. just, I'm, I'm not just doing the mitzvah because I have to, I'm doing it because doing it for you. It's an expression of, of, of love, love of God. Yeah. 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 So it's, 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 it's beautiful. It's sort of tie together, you know, sort of like going both ways. Beautiful. Like I'm doing it, it's forever in this world, but I'm doing it for you. 